0: There is a safer called Limud Yoimi that um, actually it's a bunches farm that it's that it comes with pre it's like a prepackaged deal that you could learn daily. Everything is all written out for you. And I would highly recommend that people should buy this the set. It's a huge set. I bought I think I got it like nine years ago, 10 years ago. I was working on a farm when I bought it and I needed and I needed it set times for learning and everything, which I didn't stick to at all then because of the monotony. Of living on a farm, being a mashgiach on a farm, um, but it was definitely an experience that I did not wish to repeat again, but was definitely um, eye-opening, a di- completely different world, and uh, that's besides the point. But um, I want to try to do this. I think it's a. I think it will be a beautiful add-on to my, to our learning and to our site of Welcome to Rocky World Taira, of RockyWorldTaira.com. and I hope this will be a tale as to the tzibur and to the rabbin. Myself to everybody. Okay, it goes. It's it has a bunch of different thoughts and a different parts from the Torah that it goes through, and um, it's a it's pretty long daily. I will try to do it daily. I'll do my best, and um, we will bounce off each other. We'll do this. this. I think this will be a tremendous talis. It starts off with a Torah thought for the day. This is for Rosh Hashanah, day one. The Torah portion that is written on the first day of Rosh Hashanah begins with the verse, Hashem pokad es Sarah, kasha'omar, v'yas Hashem le Hashem had remembered Sarah as he had said and Hashem did for Sarah as he had spoken. This is referring to Hashem's promise to Avram that Sarah would indeed give birth, even in her old age. The Talmud in Rosh Hashanah tells us that this happened on Rosh Hashanah, Sarah, Rachel, and Hannah, the mother of the prophet Shmuel, all three were at first childless, all merited to to be remembered by Hashem, and they conceived on Rosh Hashanah. This is the main reason we read this Torah portion on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, and it is the reason we read about Hannah in the Haftarah. There is, however, another very relevant lesson about repentance that can be derived from from another verse found in this Torah portion. When Yishmael, the son of Hagar, was sent away by Avram at Sarah's urging, due to his negative influence on Yitzchak, Yishmael became ill and was in desperate need of water. The verse states that the angel told Hagar, Al-Tiri ki el koil hanar ba'asher hu sham, Fear not, for God has heeded the cry of the youth as he is, there. Rashi gives us insight into this verse and into what was taking place in the heavenly court. The ministering angels were impugning Yishmael, saying, Master of the world, this child, whose descendants are destined to put your children to death by thirst, would you now cause a well to rise up for him? He, Hashem, answered them, What is he now, righteous or wicked? They said, Righteous, at least in regard to the above claim. If so, replied Hashem, I will judge him in accordance with his deeds at present. This is the meaning of the words as he is there, in the state he is now. That is, I will judge him. The Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 16b learns learns from here that people are judged only in accordance with their present actions. The Rosh uses this Gemara to explain one of the 13 attributes of mercy. As the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 17b explains, the first two of the 13 attributes of Hashem Hashem each referring to God's attribute of mercy, are identical, but refer to two very different times, one for before a person sins and one for after a person sins. The rush asks the obvious question, why does one need mercy before he sins? He answers that this refers to a penitent. Although Hashem knows that this person will eventually go back to his evil ways, as long as right now he is sincere in his regret, and tries to improve his ways, Hashem will judge him only as he is here. This gives us a new appreciation for the gift of Rosh Hashanah. Sometimes a person knows that it will be very difficult for him to retain a certain level of strictness and Halacha, or hold on to the awe of the, long, of the day long term. It is still critical for him, however, to adapt to the mood of the day, as this will benefit the outcome of his judgment. This does not mean, God forbid, that he can try to fool him, that he can try to fool Hashem, or himself. But a sincere moment of repentance of Rosh Hashanah is taken seriously, and can have great impact on a person's judgment, even if it will not completely change the person for life. That is why Halacha states that even if a person does not keep certain chumras, added restrictions such as the restriction to eat only bread that was baked by a Jew. Yisrael, he should do so during the 10 days of repentance. Although he knows he will not keep these restrictions for the whole year, at the time of judgment, Hashem judges us based on our good performance at that time. Okay, Mishnah of the day, Rosh Hashanah, the first chapter, um, the second Mishnah. At four specific times during the year, God judges the deeds of mankind, and based on those deeds, makes decisions regarding various matters regarding various matters. These judgments are enumerated and explained in the coming Mishnah. At four junctures during the year the world is judged. Bepesach pesach on Passover concerning the grain. a on shavuos concerning the fruit of the tree. Kal Baeum Ivan of Kivne Marin on Rosh Hashanah, all mankind will who come to the world pass before him like young sheep Libam as it is stated who fashions their hearts together, who understands all their deeds, Dinin and on the festival Aisukas, they are judged concerning the water. Gems from the Gemara. The Gemara on 16b cites Rabbi Karus Pedai in the name of Rabbi Elchanan, who discusses the judgment on Rosh Hashanah. Three books are opened on Rosh Hashanah. The completely righteous are written and sealed immediately in the book for life. The completely wicked are written and sealed immediately in the book of for death. In the book for death, and the intermediate people are held in obeyance from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur. If they merit it, they are written for life. If not, they are written for death. On the surface, Rabbi Karus Bedai's Rabbi, Rabbi teaching seems straightforward. The righteous are granted a year of life. The wicked are sentenced to die. And those in between have their decision deferred until Yom Kippur, at which time they too are placed into one of the above two categories. The problem is that this simplistic view of things Flies in the face of reality, even if we assume, as many Rishonim do, that life in Rabbi Kehuspadai's statement includes not only length of days, but also all of life's other blessings. Also, but also all of life's other blessings, such as health, financial security, and contentment. While death encompasses things such as sickness, poverty, and strife, Rabbi Kehuspadai would be saying that on Rosh Hashanah righteous people are inscribed for a year of bliss while the wicked are sentenced to suffering but this is not always the case the righteous do not always live long blissful lives and the wicked do not all suffer and die young there is not al- there, is, there are f- okay sorry there are four resolutions to this problem offered by the Rishinim. the following is a synopsis of the four views one the view of taisphis According to this explanation, the terms life and death used by Karispadai refer not to life and death in this world, but to life and death in the world to come, based on whether a person's merits or sins are in the majority. God decides on Rosh Hashanah whether that person will will merit the world to come, live, or be deprived of a share therein, die. Although a final determination of this matter is clearly impossible, until a per- until the end of a person's life, it is necessary for God to rule on the person's status as of e- as of each Rosh Hashanah in order to decide what type of a year to decree for him in this world. Often, a righteous person who, as matters stand now, deserves to enter the world to come, will be sentenced to a year of suffering in this world, in order to repay him for the few sins he has committed thereby allowing him upon death to enter the bliss of the afterlife without, in, without undergoing any preparatory purging in Gehenna. Conversely, a wicked man may be granted a year of contentment in this life in reward for his few good deeds in order to deprive him utterly of any share in the world to come. 2. The view of the Ramban, of the Ramban, with an N. The, this approach maintains that the terms life and death refer to life and death in this world. However, in contrast to their usage in the b'risa below in regard to the great day of judgment, the terms tzaddik and rasha do not refer to the person standing as determined by his record of merits and sins. Rather, tzaddik means someone who, who, for whatever the reason may be, emerges from the judgment with a favorable sentence, while rasha means someone who again for whatever reason, emerges with an unfavorable sentence. Thus, both the thoroughly righteous man who has not a single sin to his name and the thoroughly wicked man who has worshipped idols, committed idolatry, and murdered all his life, but has performed one good deed for which God's system of compensation dictates that he be rewarded in this world, are herein called tzaddikim, for they have emerged righteous in judgment. Similarly, both the thoroughly wicked man who never performed a single good deed, and the righteous man who has fulfilled the entire Torah, but has committed one sin, for which God has decreed for him death in this world, such as Myshe, on the Rosh Hashanah of the year in which he died, are herein called Rishaim. According to this approach, the term banani refers to one whose judgment as of Rosh Hashanah is still undecided. The view of the Ravid, which is the third view, This view holds that life and death in Rabbi Keruzpedai's statement do not necessarily refer to life and death in the current year. Rather, every person is born into this world with an allotted lifespan, longer for some and shorter for others. Each Rosh Hashanah this allotment comes up for review. The righteous have their allotment retained. When we see the righteous die young, it it is because their allotted lifespans were brief to begin with, while the lifespans of the wicked are curtailed although they may live quite long due to a long spirit uh, blah, 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 blah. although they may live quite long due to a long original allotment the fourth view of the sefer Achinoch this view maintains that in the present teaching the phrase the completely righteous means exactly what the name implies those who have completely no sense to their name similarly the completely wicked means those who have performed obvious, absolutely no mitzvahs. These people are indeed sentenced to life and death respectively on Rosh Hashanah. Everyone else from the very righteous man who who once stumbled and sinned to the very wicked man who performed a lone mitzvah are considered benanim. Those righteous individuals who we see suffering are dying young and those wicked whom we observe flourishing are part of this middle category. Question of the day. Why do we blow 100 blasts of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? Give me a second while I look for the answer. It's on page 197. I'm not prepared. 197 gives us the answer. Ah. Oh. The answer is the mother of Sisera, of Sisera cried when waiting for her son to return from the battlefield from his battle against the Vaira. As we learn in Sheftim 528 through 30. The words of her lament contained 101 letters. We seek to nullify her plaint with 100 blasts of the Shifar. We do not nullify her entire plaint with 101 blasts, for it is proper for a mother to grieve for a child. A Musser thought for the day. The Talmud states in Rosh Hashanah 16a that on Rosh Hashanah all humans are judged individually like sheep passing single file before their owner. This means that everyone is judged on his own merits, and no friend or family member can help protect him from his judgment and its verdict. What seems almost contradictory to this is that the same Gemara 18a says, and they, all humans are remembered by Hashem in one swift remembrance, which would seem to imply that all people are judged together. How do we reconcile this seeming contradiction? The Sif Chum explains that there are really two aspects to the judgment of Rosh Hashanah. First, one is judged by his very own deeds. All his mitzvahs and sins get evaluated and examined individually, just as a father scrutinizes, his, just as a farmer, my apologies, just as a farmer scrutinizes his sheep. However, every person is also judged in another way, which can affect the original outcome. Every person is part of a tzibur, a community a group of people, a congregation, a town, a city, etc. His actions have a direct results on his surroundings, for better or for worse. If a person's own actions are insufficient to tip the scale of merits, he can compensate for this by having a positive effect on other people, which will change the outcome of his original judgment. Every person must realize how his own actions can affect the double role he plays. A person is created individually to show him that it is up to him to achieve great accomplishments in his life as an individual. However, a person must also remember at the same time that he is a member of Klal Yisrael and has responsibilities toward them. This will help him think about his actions in another light. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter used to encourage his students to become people that Rabim Tzrichen Lohem, many are dependent on them, as a way of meriting favorable judgment. By one, increasing his positive influence on others, even by just gaining friends and acquaintances, he will broaden his value in the second aspect of judgment and will merit a favorable outcome. Halacha of the day: When Yantai falls on a Friday, an of tafshilin should be made before Yom Tov to permit Shabbos preparations to be done on Yom Tov. With regard to Rosh Hashanah, this can happen only when Rosh Hashanah falls on Thursday and Friday, so that the of tafshilin is made on Wednesday. The laws governing Erev Tafshilin appear in Shulchan Aruch Arachayim 527. The ritual and its accompanying blessing appear at the beginning of most Machzarim and before Kiddush for tov and most Sidurim. Because women are generally home more often than their husbands, and because it is usually the wife who attends to household matters, the mitzvah of kindling the Shabbos and tov lights has devolved upon the mistress of the house, as you can read further. In Rambam Hilchas five one and three, in a home where there are no women, a man must light the candles, reciting the appropriate blessing. A note of caution: the same person cannot recite the shachianu blessing over candle lighting and again at kiddush. Thus, if the same person, male or female, performs both mitzvahs, that person should recite only one shachianu, preferably at kiddush. See Shari Tshuva two sixty three four. On the first night of Rosh Hashanah after Mairiv, it is customary for all people to bless one another that they be inscribed for a Shana Tova, a good year, i.e., each person should receive a favorable verdict. See further in the Ramah 520 582 9, citing the Tur. Although most Mahzarim record the same formula for this blessing, some authorities are not unanimous regarding what this blessing should or should not include. Therefore, each family should follow its accepted custom in this matter. Uh, the Abordaram cites a custom widely practiced in our times to dip the challah bread into honey, either instead of salt or in addition to it, and after eating some challah, to recite "Teshkadish Aleinu Shana renew for us a sweet year, or as may, or, or as many say today, "Yihiratzein Sheteshkadish Aleinu Shana may it be Your will that You renew for us a good and sweet year Ramah 583.1. The basis for these and similar customs is found in the Talmud in Ereus 12a and Crisus 5b, which begins its discussion by mentioning the, the efficacy of simonim, significant omens. We anoint kings only at a spring of water, symbolizing that their monarchy be extended and endure like the stream that flows from the spring. For it is stated in King David's command regarding anointing his son Shlomo as a successor in Malachim Aleph, one thirty-three through thirty-four. The king said to them, "Take with you your master's servants and mount my son Shlomo upon my mule." and lead him down to the Gichayim, spring outside of Yerushalayim, also known as the Sheliach, the Selayim spring, as it's mentioned in Rashi. There Tzadak and Nassan, the prophet, shall anoint him as king over Israel. The Talmud continues with a series of other simanim omens, that are not related to Rosh Hashanah. Then cites Abayah who states, Now that you have said that simanim are significant, each person should habituate himself to eat at the beginning of the year. Kara, a goward, example, a cucumber or a pumpkin. Verubia, a fenugreek, a, it's a herb indigenous to Western Asia. Karti, a leek. Silka, a beet but not sour borscht, as it's mentioned in the Primigodim. Vitamri, and dates. Rashi in Crisoy 6a explains that the symbolism of these five species is of two natures. Some of them grow rapidly and ripen early thus representing increase and in abundance, and an abundance of merits and rewards. Others are sweet to the palate, and signify a sweet year. Another explanation for these simanim is evident from Ravchai Gain's custom, widely practiced through the centuries, of reciting a short prayer that plays on the name of the particular food. Thus, when eating karti, lik, Ravchai would say, ye karsu may our enemies be decimated. Over rubia, fenugreek, he would say, you, ratzen, shi May it be your will that our merits increase. Mordechai, as explained by B.C. 583, the abud, the abud Raham and Kol carrier of Chai Gain's prayer, a step further. Beginning each short prayer with the formula, ratzen, Hashem she. May it be your will, Hashem, our God, and the God of our forefathers, that. This latter form is accepted by the Halacha and Mishnabruah 583T. 580-2 The symbolism of many other foods and other prayers and the prayers associated with them may be found after Kiddush for Rosh Hashanah in the Siddur or Machzer of your choice. Magin Avram writes that the concept of using food names as simonim is not limited to the specific species mentioned in the Talmud. In reality, any food with a name that alludes to increase in abundance may be used as a simon. As a simon. This applies not only to the Hebrew name for the food but also to the name used locally for that particular food, regardless of what language it is in. Based on this view, it has, been, it has become customary in many communities to eat carrots, which in Yiddish are called "merin," a word that can also mean increase. Similarly, the German word for carrots, mukhreb, calls to mind both mer, more and rubia, based on arachasholchan and chayadam. Another custom based on this view is that the Jews of Baghdad is that of the Jews of Baghdad. Since the Aramaic word for Rubia is Lubia, the Jews of that community would say that our merits increase and then add and treat us in a heartfelt manner, according to the Ben Yishchai. Berkas Chaim records that Ukrainian Jews would give their children chicken livers on Rosh Hashanah. And say the Yiddish word for liver is leberlach, which, which is homophonous, with leb Erlach or live honestly. In a similar vein, just as, it is, just as it is customary to eat food that allude to bounty and blessings and sweetness, so is it customary to avoid foods that, su- that suggest the opposites, such as sour pickles, as it's written in Mate Ephraim 583.3, and sour borscht, as is written in the Primagodim. The Chayi Adam in 139:6 concludes his discussion of the Simanim by broadening the concept to include one's demeanor and comportment. Now that we have seen the extent to which the sages have admonished us with regard to the symbolic food that we eat on Rosh Hashanah, all for the sake of good omens, how much more so must each of us control his anger on this day? Self-control on this day is especially important not only because of the sin of anger, But additionally, because an even temper on Rosh Hashanah will serve as a simon for the entire year. Therefore, one should be happy of heart, righteous and confident in his faith in God, in his repentance and in his good deeds. Wow. I think I shall keep going. A closer look at the Siddur. Several passages are interpolated into each Shman from the first night of Rosh Hashanah until the end of Yom Kippur. The only one which, if omitted, requires one to, to begin the Shemana Esri anew is the ending of the third blessing. Instead of Akela Kadesh, the Holy God, we say Hamelech HaKadesh, the, the Holy King. This emendation is made to accentuate God's role as ruler and judge of the world. We may ask, what is so important about this phrase more than in any other of the additions that are made during this period? The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah 16a lists four junctures of the year during which the world is judged. A on Pesach for grain, B on Shavuos for the fruits of the trees, C on Rosh Hashanah for all the people in the world, and D and on Sukkot for rainfall. The Gemara teaches us that Hashem commanded us to bring on each of these days an offering that includes the item about which we are being judged, to merit a favorable judgment. Thus, on Pesach we bring the Eimer. On Sukkis, we pour libations of water, etc. The only one that seems out of place is Rosh Hashanah. For the Gemara says that on this day, Hashem says, recite before me verses of Malchias, kingship, that speak about God's sovereignty, so that you can coronate me as your king. On all the other days of judgment, we actually bring to Hashem the item upon which we are being judged. Why the change in direction when it comes to Rosh Hashanah? The Altar of Kelm explains that on Rosh Hashanah, Two, we are actually bringing the judged item to Hashem. On Rosh Hashanah, we are judged on the extent to which Hashem's kingship over us, uh, to the extent to which we accept Hashem's kingship over us. This is the service required to us on these days—not just to recite the verses, but to actually make and accept Hashem as our king. As as Rav Yisrael Salanter once said, the entire year we make Hashem king over the six directions of the world. This is one of the things that a person is supposed to bear in mind when reciting the first verse of Kriya Shema. But on Rosh Hashanah a person must declare Hashem king over himself. He must feel that Hashem has full sovereignty over everything that transpires in his life. This obligation begins on Rosh Hashanah and concludes on Yom Kippur. Every Every day of the days of repentance a person must actually make Hashem king over himself. This is done during the Amidah, when we say HaMelech Hakadesh, the Holy King. By omitting this and reciting the standard HaKel Kadesh, the Holy God, one is not only missing an added prayer, as he does when omitting other additions, he is omitting the essential theme of these days. Thus, he must repeat Shemana As we accept Hashem as King, we ourselves benefit, for by doing so, we elevate our status. We become subjects of Hashem and join in the mission, for which he created the universe. This in itself makes us deserving of a good, healthy, and prosperous year to be able to carry out this important mission as merits of the king. My mistake, as subjects of the king. We will end off this segment with a taste of lumdus The Chai Adam brings a halakhic ruling from, from Av'abaleh Pesvaler of the Bezdin of Vilna, that if instead of concluding the third blessing of Shmoneh Esrei with the special addition Namelcha Kadesh, the Holy King, one erroneously said the regular text Hakelcha Kadesh, the Holy Almighty, on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, he need not repeat the Shmoneh which is usually which was usually the law, if this phrase is not inserted in all other Shmoneh Esrei prayers during the ten days of repentance. His reasoning is as follows. Just as we find that on the night of Rosh Hashanah, one need not repeat the Shemone Esrei if he forgets to say Yalav Yavai, the added prayer for Rosh Chodesh in Shemone of Ma'ariv, because Kiddush Chodesh, the declaration of the new month, is not done at night, so too the night of Rosh Hashanah, which is also Rosh has the same rule. Although in essence it is Rosh Chodesh, nonetheless, because the holiness of Rosh Chodesh needs daytime to be properly instituted. The nighttime prayer does not have the same stringency of the prayers said by day. In the Mishnah Bru'ah in and Shiretziya, in four, takes issue with this ruling. He notes that this reasoning may be true if one would recite a complete weekday prayer without acknowledging at all that it is Rosh Hashanah. Then he would possibly fulfill his obligation after the fact, as on Rosh But here, we are discussing <coughs> a case where one recited the entire Rosh Hashanah Shema Esrei prayer except for this addition. So his prayer contains an inherent, con- an inherent contradiction. Because if it is a weekday prayer, why is he mentioning the Rosh Hashanah prayers? And if he is regarding it as a Rosh Hashanah prayer, why is he omitting the special conclusion? Furthermore, the Mayim Chaim also differs with this ruling, citing Rabini Yeina who rules that if one forgets Yala in the Mayr of Shemaneser of Rosh Chay- Hashanah, he must repeat his prayer, because Rosh Hashanah is more stringent than a regular Reish as it is forbidden to do Malacha on Rosh So the ruling concerning Yalavi Yavai, which is the basis for the ruling of the Chayyadam, does not even apply on Rosh This indeed is the opinion of the Beis Saf. Accordingly, the Mayim Chaim asks, why should the omission of Amel Hakadesh be any different? The Teshuvah's Binyan Shlema, however, offers a remarkable explanation in support of the ruling of Rav Abalah, which answers all of these questions. He explains that the reason we mention Amelach HaKadosh on these days is because they are the days when Hashem establishes His kingdom through judgment. The Gemara states in Rosh Hashanah 8b that the heavenly court does not begin judgment until the court in this world declares the new month, and derives this from a verse in Tehillim, in 81:5, "Ki mishpat because it is a statute. Because it is a statute for Israel, a judgment day unto the God of Jacob. The verse is saying, when Israel has established the legal status of the month, then God begins His judgment of the world. With this in mind, we can explain that although it is that although it is indeed Yom and one, and one is forbidden to do malacha, and must therefore repeat Shmoneh Esrei if Yalav Yav is forgotten during my Rosh Hashanah. Unlike any other. When it comes to Amel HaKadesh, it is different. Since on the first night of Rosh Hashanah the judgment has not yet taken place, therefore Hashem's kingdom has not yet been fully established through judgment. Thus, although one should ideally recite Amel HaKadesh before Rosh Hashanah has begun, one is not required to repeat the Shema Nesri if it is forgotten. According to this reasoning, he concludes that the second night of Rosh Hashanah should be different, as the judgment has already begun on the morning of the first day. Thus, all would agree that one who omits Hamelchakodesh on the second night would indeed have to repeat Shmaitna Esrei. Thank you so much for listening. And like in my previous segment of the Daily Learning Hour, I like to I like to wish everybody a Gemar Simatayva. G'mar Simatayva. Sima we usually say now. We usually we do say it after Rosh Hashanah and like by Yom Kippur. Right, we say G'mar Simatayva so that so that the seal. Should be a good keben I'd like to thank everybody for listening and have a kivvach